Welcome to another edition of Around with Randall, your weekly podcast for making your nonprofit more effective for your community. And here is your host, the CEO and founder of Hallett Philanthropy, Randall Hallett. It's great to have you alongside for this edition of Around with Randall. Today's part two of our monthly look at campaign work. In the first part, we talked a little bit about feasibility studies. Next time, we'll talk about kind of the way to look at how you structure your campaign with this idea of one grand comprehensive campaign or how many campaigns might be more effective. We'll conclude with kind of a new model that we've been playing with at Hallett Philanthropy to better staff campaigns, and I think will be something to have more conversation about. But today, we're going to talk about the idea of case statements and case development, which sometimes seems on paper to be the simplest, but ends up being the most complex and challenging in any one of these four bigger conversation areas. Case statements are really used to highlight what you're trying to accomplish, and most of you probably already know that. Let me start with what I think is important in a case statement. And some thoughts or or vantage points on some of those issues. And then we'll jump into where the challenges come from and why this gets to be more complicated. So a case statement starts with this idea of need. One thing that we have to become more and more aware of as donors become more sophisticated is that we need specific need. What is it that exactly we're trying to accomplish? I've always found it easiest to work and to build a case statement when we start with some kind of story. What is there an example out there? What is a possible example of a situation that this case is trying to solve? So in healthcare, it might be something related to a patient who had a, a, or a a family or a medical situation that needed solving. In education, it may be allowing access to education or continuing to maintain great faculty. In social services, it may be meaning that on the ground situation, food, shelter, safety, whatever that might be. If we can tell a story as a part of this, it makes it easier for end users to understand. Using examples of stories is like using a metaphor or a simile. It creates in context the need at an emotional level or at least at a level that the individual who's reading the case or looking at the case or listening to the case can better understand. Next, we obviously need some facts, specifics, again, outcomes. And I think the term outcomes is is not used enough. Outcomes are if we're going to do this, What are the things that we're going to realize? So let me give you a couple of examples. Outcomes are things that are related to in healthcare. We're going to have more access for 50 more patients in this area, or people will have to travel 250 miles less because we have this piece of equipment. And you can even make it uh, very emphatic 
that something like a stroke where time is brain, meaning time has incredible value. 250 miles could be the exist possibility for someone to have a short-term disability or a long-term disability. In education, it may be access. Uh, there's a great uh, commercial on television, I think from Southern New Hampshire University, where the president or chancellor of the university is giving a graduation speech. And he mentions that talent is equally distributed, but opportunity is not. That's a powerful case. Just in that little verbiage, now the details that need to be important, but, but that's pretty cool. How many meals will you be serving if you're a food kitchen? In addition, if you do whatever it is that needs to be done, how many more people could you house if you had more facilities for a homeless shelter? It's sometimes tough for non-fundraising leadership to understand that outcome. That level of detail is so important because donors are asking questions. What's my money going to do? The more you affect, legitimately so, obviously the better your case. We need to spend a few minutes talking about who you are. What has your organization done in the past? How are you solving these issues? What is it that your organization brings to the community that's unique? What are some of your successes? The costs involved should be a part of this. What's it going to cost to do whatever it is? I think sometimes we don't properly account for costs. So if you're building a building, are you taking into account the idea of what I call funded depreciation? One of my mentors many years ago, before I'd ever heard anybody else ever talk about it, said, we're going to build in 10% of the total cost in what he called funded depreciation. Basically, it was an endowment and that he was going to hold that endowment for five to seven years because the building would be new, wouldn't need quite as much. And that money then would be present for all the kinds of things that were necessary and that any capital project that occurred had to have funded funded depreciation or an endowment for the building. Brilliant. What other costs should be a part of this for ongoing support? Not to be disingenuous or over the top, We need to be honest about what these costs are because this campaign effort is not just to fund tomorrow, but the future. And that future has expenses that we should be accounting for. I think the other thing that needs to be discussed is what kind of funding are we really looking for when we talk about costs? I've had clients in the past who have needed to build a campaign for some kind of physical structure. And all of a sudden, somebody did a a kind of an accounting, maybe a third of the way through the campaign, and realized that they were taking an immense amount of planned gifts. That should be part of this process in developing case. And while that's great for the fundraiser to say, oh, we've raised, you know, this money for planned giving and it can be part of the campaign. If the money can't be accessed, then what is the value of the campaign? In the same regard, having things like the funded depreciation or chairs can absolutely be partially funded by planned gifts, which are deferred gifts, meaning we don't get the money today. We don't get it till there's an event at some time in the future. 
usually a death of some sort. We need to use different financial vehicles, and that requires some thought. If you need plan giving to be a part of it, then your organization needs to be honest about what it needs the money for. And if you need the cash today, then taking a bunch of requests is going to be a problem. Should you be having things like lead trust where you get the money on the front side and you're paying for some type of interest until there's a death, so you have access to that capital? Should you be taking out a loan as a part of this process as an organization? And some of those estate gifts will fund that. Do you have that cost structure layered in? It's a lot of different conversations that have to occur in this uh, really under-discussed and important uh, conversation. The last thing is what do you use the case statement for? So we've talked about the need and the story and the facts and the outcomes, really specifics, what we're trying to accomplish, costs and how we affiliate that. Certainly case statements are used for feasibility studies, which we talked about last edition, that they're kind of a catalyst for someone to have a conversation about, does this make sense to you? Do you like it? Do you see yourself funding it? At what level might that be possible? Certainly when you're in an active fundraising process, it uses collateral material, no big surprise there. And a honed down version, a mini version is an elevator speech. If someone says, what are you trying to do? You in 15 seconds can come up with something that lays out, here's what we're trying to, to accomplish. All of this at this point may be, well, this is pretty performa. Why is this interesting? Legitimate question. I don't think case statement development is all that controversial, again, on paper. The problem becomes when you actually try to execute it. And the challenge usually is the fundraising office against versus the rest of the organization. And it's not because you don't like each other. It's not because you, you can't get along. It's not because you think the other side's not on the same mission-driven page. It's this that you just see it differently. So let me walk you through a couple of examples, and then that's going to lead us right into the tactical of some things that you can do to be maybe a little bit more effective. So I, I was working on a, a recently on a, a campaign for a new facility, and we had laid out uh, the case statement, laid out the timeline. We weren't interviewing yet. We were waiting for finalization approval of that case statement. I think 90% of it is pretty good, and all of a sudden the organization says, hold on a minute, we're going to move the entire project. Well, that was kind of harmful to the timeline and the foundation had kind of begun to build towards this idea of when a campaign could start, started looking at projections. And really what it came down to is that the organization didn't have a full understanding that, that the, that this particular foundation was really gearing up using the opportunity for a very large campaign to budget for itself going forward, both revenue and expense, planning how gift officers portfolios would look, reaching out into the community and beginning those conversations with community leaders. And all of a sudden this whole thing comes to a stop. And it was all on the case development because I kept saying, we got to get this approved before we can go out publicly. And it wasn't until somebody finally said, well, we can't approve it and here's why. There are two things I learned. So this is kind of one of your first tactical things is, is that 
the chief development officer wasn't at the right table. We thought she was, but there was another table of conversations occurring that we weren't quite as aware of. And all of a sudden, it was at that other table where some of these issues were being developed to realize we'd be better off moving the whole project somewhere else. Well, that had a, a, a cataclysmic change to what the next six months would look like for that foundation. So you think the process is simple, but it's more complicated. <laughs> Getting to those outcomes. We talked about some of the specifics that are necessary. And you'd think, well, this should be easy. Well, it's hard to articulate this. I'll give you a great example from several years ago. When I was uh, working uh, as a point person, as a chief development officer in an, an academic medical center, uh, we had these initial conversations across the country about the concept of population health. And there was a great big push. We need money for population health. And I would sit through meetings and I'd say, all of this is great. I understand what you're trying to do. We're trying to reduce costs. We're trying to be the leader as a large academic medical center in the community regarding uh, those uh, who need access to healthcare. I think that's terrific. If we get them early, it costs less. Good for everybody. Good for reimbursement. Uh, less cost on the on the either the commercial pay or, or government Medicaid Medicare pay side. But can you tell me what the money's going to be used for? And it, it was the most frustrating example of case development that I've ever dealt with because I couldn't get anybody to tell me how they were going to spend the money physically. What were the outcomes? Well, we just need it so we can invest in the community. What are you going to do with it? And because the term nationally population health had become so entrenched in kind of the desire of what we should be looking at in healthcare, nobody kind of could articulate what it actually was. It took about a decade for there to be the concept of clinics in, in underserved populations and how there would be communication and even partnership into clinics in those areas. And that big, huge academic medical centers may not have credibility in those communities. So how do you build the relationships? It was, it became much more defined. In capital campaigns, being able to get the end user so in healthcare, the clinician, in education, the educator, or if it's like endowment found, uh, scholarship or, or uh, in endowed chairs, HR, provost, uh, if it's a soup kitchen, meals, if it's a, uh, a homeless shelter, beds, how many of these things will the campaign provide that will make a difference for how many people? I've come to appreciate that the smaller the organization, the easier it is to get this answer. The challenge is they don't think big enough. And the bigger the organization, they have great visions, great dreams, great possibilities. The boy, it's hard to get that detail. It's like 51 committees we've all got to go through. We need to get better at creating a healthier, more robust, more consistent partnership with end users in philanthropy particularly when it comes to campaigns. Because case development, at the end of the day, is all about what are we trying to accomplish? How are we going to do it? And it's frustrating to no end when I am all too often partnering with the foundation or development office, and it seems like we're the ones trying to tell them how to do their job. 
And that's not the way it should work. The last thing I want to comment on very quickly is the length. The larger the campaign, the longer the length of the case statement. If you're trying to do a $2 billion university-wide comprehensive campaign, you're going to end up with some pretty serious collateral material, some length. But all too often, really what we need is about a page and a half or two. And then we develop the relationship and bring in the content experts to develop the emotional content. So when I talked about need and facts and you know who you are as the organization and what the costs are and the outcomes, I'm really talking about doing it in a very concise way. Most people, studies show, don't want to read immense amount of information. So we need to condense this as much as possible. And if you're looking to say, well, how do I do this? The next podcast will be this thought around mini campaigns, meaning having multiple smaller campaigns going at different stages versus a comprehensive campaign. That has a direct effect on the length of the case statement. Because if you're doing a lot of mini campaigns, you can have three, four, five different case statements, all a page, page and a half working at different stages of development or usage. The other reason to keep this in mind is that things move fast. Uh, particularly faster today. And so that's part of the reason many campaigns will be discussed in the next podcast. But my advice is keep it shorter. The shorter, the better. Tell stories, infographics, pictures, along with some of the details. The more you put those types of things in, the better off you're going to be, I promise. So this was kind of a look at case statements. Some of the things we're seeing and feeling in the industry. Next time we'll tackle many and comprehensive campaigns, and then finally kind of a new way of looking at uh, feasibility and campaign council, maybe a cost savings as well as a better ROI. As we always do, please make sure that you take a look uh, as, as a reminder about the blogs, 90-second reads, post them probably every two, three days. Opportunity for you just to kind of catch up on different aspects of our industry, different things going on, maybe something to be thought-provoking. Also, if you want to reach out to me, Please feel free to do so. That's podcast at howlitphilanthropy.com, podcast at howlitphilanthropy.com. Or if you totally disagree with me or if I miss something, my homage to Clark Howard, Clark Stinks, Randall Reeks, no pun intended by the rhyme, but nevertheless, Reeks, R-E-E-K-S at howlitphilanthropy.com. Love to hear what you think. I conclude every podcast the same way uh, with an old Gaelic saying, some people make things happen. Some people watch things happen. Then they, then there are those who wondered what happened. We fall into a category. Every moment we're breathing into one of those three. I've come to truly understand that. And the great thing about fundraising philanthropy is development. However you want to look at it. Foundation work is we're people who make things happen for those who are wondering what happened. I can't imagine going through life thinking that what I was doing wasn't helping others. I hope you feel the same way. And I hope you realize that you are doing really incredible things to make that possible. And if you need a moment or two, don't ever forget if we go all the way back to the case statements about outcome. Always think about that outcome, even when you need it, as a reminder of why you do what you do, because you are making a difference. I appreciate your time today. Two of four on campaigns. We'll jump into the third part next time in the next podcast right here 
on Around with Randy. Make it a great day.